Chat. I'm Amy Gerke, Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life. I am really excited about today's episode. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had Steve Jacobs, our program director, talking to me about my background and so forth. But really, nothing I do here at Illinois Right to Life is possible without our incredible team of just amazingly dedicated people. Um, when I was interviewing for this job, uh, the president of our board kept telling me that I was going to love the staff. And my reaction was, yeah, we'll see. And so anyway, but she was absolutely right. I am so blessed to have inherited the most wonderful staff who are incredibly intelligent, hardworking, etc. And I am very happy to get to introduce all of you to them today. Um, the first person we are joined by is uh, Denise Saber. Denise is our Director of Finance and Operations, and she is basically the glue that holds Illinois Right to Life together. She's been here um, for years and is my go-to person if I have a question about anything from finance to who that person was that just called me. So Denise, welcome to Life Chat. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit um, about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, who's... Okay. Uh, my name again is Denise Zaber. I've been married to my wonderful husband for 39 years. We have two children and nine beautiful grandchildren. Um, artsy and craftsy things have always interested me. My mom was a very crafty and artistic person, and being a single mom, she always had some sort of business going on. And I remember as a kid watching her make handmade items that she could take to work to sell to make extra money. And I guess I kind of got my artistic side from her because I worked as a freelance wedding photographer and videographer for many years. And then I also got into portrait photography, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and I did that for about 15 years, and then... Uh, uh, back injury kind of made it impossible to continue. Uh, one of my favorite hobbies is scrapbooking because life is all about celebrating do and documenting the milestones and the moments. Um, and I, like my mom, have had a few of those handmade items to sell myself from three-tiered wedding cakes and graduation cakes to hel homemade Cabbage Patch Kids uh, <laughs> back in the day when they were all the rave. Uh, one of my aspirations was to always start a poster board of healing ministry at my church. So who knows what the Lord has in store for my future. Uh, I think that every church should have a ministry like that because there are so many poster board of women out there trying to heal on their own and they really need our help. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember as a kid also being so infatuated with the Time Magazine article, um, drama uh, of life in the womb, I believe it was mm -hmm. called, showing yep. all the pictures of the babies in the womb. And I think that was probably the beginning of my pro-life experience as a young child, but I didn't actually become pro-life until 1975. Oh, well, okay. I can see I've already learned something new about Denise. <laughs> um, so yeah, her, her job title is Director of Finance and Operations, but she also does um, a lot of our graphic design. She does um, the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of the memes that you see on our social media, and if you're not following us on social media, uh, please find us on Instagram and Facebook. But um, it, Denise has also taken uh, headshots of our staff and, uh, you know, basically whatever needs done. Denise is able to do. And I, I have to share a funny story. I hope you don't mind me sharing this. So when I first started, this is back in December, I was talking to the entire staff and just getting to know them one on one and talking about their jobs and so forth. And so um, uh, during the interview process, I had been told that Denise was going to be my go to person for everything. And after only a couple weeks on the job, it was obvious that that was true. So I'm having my one-on-one -on -one meeting with Denise. And I say, okay, Denise, so how long are you going to be here? Do you have any plans to retire? You know, what, what, what's, your, what's your plan? And, you know, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, you can never leave. Don't ever leave. And so poor Denise thought that I wanted her out the door. <laughs> it wasn't until a few weeks later that we cleared up that misunderstanding. And I was like, oh my goodness, no, I never want you to leave. That was not what I meant at all. So um, 
Anyway, so uh, why don't you tell me a little bit more about um, what specifically you do here at Illinois Right to Life so everybody knows knows what you do. Uh, Well, I have been with Illinois Right to Life now for about 24 years. Uh, As Amy said, I wear many hats around here, but my current title is Finance and Development Director. Uh, I've had my hand in just about every aspect of Illinois Right to Life, from finances Mm -hmm. to graphic design, social media creation, and just about everything else that falls in between. Uh, To me, being pro-life is not only about a checklist of what you do or what you've done, but about who you really are as a person and your passion for protecting life and your investment in people. Uh, I really don't think you can separate the two. And in the past, before a back and a hip injury uh, caused me to have some major issues, I was very, very involved in the pro-life movement and very uh, various aspects of it as well, from uh, 40 Days for Life to prayer vigils, sidewalk counseling, pickets at rallies and abortion clinics, and also teaching the value of life as a children's church director at my church. In fact, one of my most memorable experiences as children's church director was when I decided to teach a story on the sanctity of life on Human Life Sunday. And uh, the lesson was about how each child was created in the image of God with special gifts and talents, and that God had a purpose for each and every life, both born and unborn. Now, I was really quite nervous about giving this lesson because even though it was a Christian church, I thought some parents, when you start talking about development in the womb, Mm -hmm. may have an issue with that. So uh, I really felt that God wanted me to teach that lesson, and so I went ahead with it. And these kids were like sponges with their eyes wide open and really listening and asking questions through this whole lesson uh, and very interested in seeing the babies of the, de- you know, the development of the baby in the womb. And at the end of the lesson, I pat- passed out those little precious feet pins and hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told them to always remember that God had a plan for each and every life. And then oh, I ended awesome. the class. And I was definitely expecting a whole lot of flack coming back from some of the parents, but actually I experienced quite the opposite. Uh, So many of them were thankful and appreciative for the lesson, and they said their kids came home excited about what they had learned. And then about 15 years later, one of my Sunday school kids came back to Chicago for a visit after he had moved away. And when I saw him, he came up to me and gave me a great big hug, and he pointed to his lapel. And he said, do you remember this? Oh. This is, this is such a cool story. <laughs> it was the precious feet pin that I had given him so many years earlier. I didn't even think those things could exist for that long. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They have staying power. Yeah. But he said, thank you so much. You have no idea what that lesson did to me and how it impacted my life and what, you know, and what I believe now. And he says, you know, I'm just so thankful. And it, it just goes to show you that you never know mm-hmm. who you're going to impact by investing in people, using teachable moments, and developing relationships. And that would, that's what the pro-life movement's all about. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for sharing that story. That's amazing. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You never know, even in a church environment, how the pro-life message is going to go over. And um, that's unfortunate. But... No, your story illustrates exactly what Illinois Right to Life is all about, encouraging and empowering people to take a stand for their life in their own communities. And man, your whole life has been that. Well, a lot of your life, you meant, I want to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. You said you didn't become pro-life until 1975. Uh. That's a story. So, <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah, that... Um... To tell you the truth, I don't think I've ever publicly spoken about that before, but my pro-life story goes back way, way back to when I was 16 years old. Um, and when I was 16, I got pregnant, and I was scared to death, and I had no idea what I was going to do. Now, it was 1975, only a few years after the Roe v. Wade decision, so fortunately I didn't have to face the severe pressure to abort that these teens today have to face. But of course abortion, even back then, was still presented as a quick fix, mm-hmm. and they pushed the idea that nobody would have to know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think I was more terrified to tell my mother than anything else. Yeah. So that was uh, a quick fix and a way out, you know, oh, nobody would ever have to know. Um, but I think back to that time now, and I'm just so grateful that I decided to choose life for my baby. I can't imagine my life without her. You know, sometimes life gets really hard. Uh, and on some of your darkest days, those babies are the only thing that keep you going. 
Uh, today, she's a beautiful, confident, intelligent, strong woman and a mother of five awesome children. Uh, to think that I could have missed out on all of that by making one irreversible, life-altering decision just brings me to tears. What? Uh, I'm, I'm just so thankful and grateful every time I think about it. But on the other hand of that, it also burdens my heart for the other young women who are out there in similar situations. And I just want to share my experience with them, love them, and tell them everything's going to be okay and that they're strong enough to do this because they are. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, no, you're exactly right. Um, you know, I, I say this all the time, the feminist movement is all about women power and women can do anything and women are strong until it comes to doing the thing that makes us most unique, having children yes. and bringing life into the world, then no, your dreams will die, your life will be over. And that's so far from the truth. If, if they just only knew if they could see 10, 15 years down the line, you know, what their life would be like, you know, with that child and how that child would actually inspire them to reach their goals and their dreams. It's exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, I didn't know that about you either. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, I um, told myself I wasn't going to cry, but I, I'm, I'm a blubbering idiot. So. No, not at all. It's yeah, no, you were making me teary, which is really hard to do. So, well, yeah, I uh, in a talk one time, I gave the example that, you know, abortion is not just the one act the one act of the abortion itself. It's like mm -hmm. dropping a pebble in a pond and there's a, a ripple, ripple effect. Definitely. And um, well, A, there's no way that you can just forget about it because you have a bond with that baby before you, I mean, the second that you know he or she is there. Mm -hmm. And then, oh my goodness, your daughter has five kids. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you know, those five kids are going to have kids of their own and exactly. they're going to impact people's lives. And abortion just not only destroys the future of the mom and her baby it destroys so many other futures as well mm -hmm. so oh my gosh it's and that's one of the reasons that I really think that we need to get the healing ministries in churches because I think unfortunately and I know in the evangelical uh, arena I think pastors are total, totally oblivious to how many women they have sitting in their congregation oh, week after week absolutely suffering, suffering needlessly when there's help out there and mm -hmm. I, I really think that we need to focus on more pregnancy resource centers, that we need to focus on more church groups that are out there to help these women. No, definitely, definitely. Because like you said, th there is a ripple effect. And sometimes it doesn't hit you until years later mm -hmm. when you have children after you've aborted and you're mm -hmm. even having difficulty bonding with those children. And it's Exactly, it's, yeah, exactly. So. You hear that story so many times. And... No, you're exactly right about the churches. It's really frustrating. Um, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and one of the speakers said that a lot of women who are church-going Christian women but have had abortions honestly believe that abortion is an unforgivable sin. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's just so far from the truth. Well, if we've got the time, I'd like to tell you just a little tiny story. Oh, yeah, one, absolutely. One of the women from our church, she um, she has been there for many, many years, but when before she started attending, she used to hear them singing, and she used to go out on her front porch, and she used to just listen to them and mm -hmm. think, oh, I wish I could go there. But she had had an abortion oh, and just thought she was not worthy. And uh, our pastor was going you know, through the neighborhood visiting people, mm -hmm. and he knocked on her door and uh, was able to share the love of Christ with her mm -hmm. and the forgiveness of sin when she confided in him and why she wasn't coming to church. He would see her outside, and as soon as that he would make an effort to go over to talk to her, she'd dart in the house, and that <laughs> oh, would no. be it. Can't see the preacher. But, yeah. yeah. But when he finally did get a hold of her and she, she kind of expressed what was going on, he says, God mm -hmm. forgives you, you know. Mm -hmm. And she's been a faithful church member ever since. She's an you know, a, a pro-life advocate now mm -hmm. and just, just really loving women, you know, into mm -hmm. healing. So I'm just so proud of her. So. That's amazing. Well, I am sure that God has tons still planned for you because you have got boundless energy. So <laughs> anyway, thank you for all you do for Illinois Right to Life. Thank you for all you do 
outside of Illinois Right to Life. And um, I know you didn't want to do this today. So no. thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you so much. I wanted to take a second to thank all of you for your support of our Life Chat podcast. We've asked you this before, but we'll ask again. If you have any feedback on the program or if there are any guests you'd like us to have on the show, please let us know. You can contact us by emailing at info, I-N-F-O, at IllinoisRightToLife.org. Again, that's info at IllinoisRightToLife.org. So we are continuing introducing all of the members of the Illinois Right to Life staff who are fantastic. Next, we're joined by Sarah Brown, who is our development manager. And Sarah is about the most accomplished 21-year-old I have ever known in my life. She's trying not to laugh. But anyway, she is, uh, she's brilliant. She's hardworking. She gets more done in a day than just about anybody I ever know, have ever known or worked with. And so, um, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> I'm definitely energetic. I don't know about everything else. Um, yeah, so I'm super pro-life. I've been pro-life since basically I was born. I've been involved in the pro-life movement since I was like 12 years old. Um, I have a massive family, and that is part of the reason that I'm so pro-life. And I've had the pleasure of working with Illinois Right to Life for about two or so years now. So it's been fun. Definitely it's been fun. So um, I... Uh, Sarah does have a massive family, so tell us a little bit about your family and your uh, and where you went to school and all that fun all stuff. All that fun stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm the third oldest of seven kids, um, and we were all homeschooled our entire life growing up, and then most of us started college at 16. We did the dual enrollment program, so I was able to graduate early, which is why I'm able to work so young full-time for Illinois Right to Life. Um, but every one of us is super pro-life and we were all super involved in the pro-life groups around us through church and, um, other homeschool avenues. But yeah, growing up with a big family is a lot of fun and it definitely helps you maintain your pro-life beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine. So, um, yeah, the thing that is incredible about Sarah's family is she's not the only amazing child. Every one of her uh, siblings that I've met has been equally hardworking, equally pro-life and equally brilliant. Um, when I met her mom for the first time, my first question was, what did you do? <laughs> How did you come out with seven amazing kids? So um, uh, so tell me how, how your big family helped you be pro-life. Was it just be, seeing your mom pregnant a lot or being around babies, a little bit of both? Oh my goodness, I was always around babies. Being around mm -hmm. babies is definitely one of those primary <laughs> primary indicators of being super pro-life your whole life. Um yeah, no, my mom was always pro-life. She's just super, like, one of those super advocates in her community. She loves to bring up the pro-life movement in, like, every conversation. Mm -hmm. um, even with her folks that she, like, works with every now and then. She's like, so I have to tell you about the most recent pro-life event I was at. She loves it. Um, and, yeah, so she really instilled it in each of her kids that you need to value human life and that everybody has equal human dignity. And if you're going to believe that, then you need to be pro-life. Um, and my older sister, she participated in the Crusaders for Life group first. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think she was there when it started because she's about 10 years older, not even 10 years older than me, but she was there when they began the group at St. John Cantus. And mm -hmm. that's like a super massive youth group for the pro-life movement in Illinois. Um, so she started with them and she did all these volunteer opportunities and whatnot. And I thought that was super cool. My brother did it once he was old enough. And then I was super eager to do it once I was old enough. Um, it's kind of like a family activity. <laughs> Anything uh -huh. pro-life is like a family activity for us. So I think just consistently being involved and active uh, definitely helped. And then, of course, you know, I have a ton of little siblings. And so taking care of them definitely helps you to recognize why tiny humans are so precious and important. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, actually, um, just 
uh, actually, it was month before last now, um, Sarah and Savannah Dudzik, who you'll meet in just a few seconds, and I went to the Pro-Life Women's Conference in Memphis with Sarah's little sister, which one? <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth, yeah. yeah, yeah. And her middle name's Faustina. Yeah. So I remember her as Faustina because that's what Sarah calls her sometime. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, you know, she's only 14, but she was just so on target with her pro-life beliefs. And she really helped us out at our booth and oh, helped yeah. us with networking. And everybody loved her. So it's just an incredible family. So if any of you have been to any Illinois Right to Life events um, recently, Sarah's the one who organizes all of those and makes sure that they run smoothly and so forth. But that is just one small facet of her job. Can you tell us about the work you do at Illinois Right to Life? Yes. So as development manager, I work um, primarily in the fundraising aspect of Illinois Right to Life, and I handle the special events and taking care of the logistics and communications of each of our presentations or really anything that we're planning. Um, so yeah, recently we had the breakfast fundraiser for one of our programs, which was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I love taking care of logistics and I love mm -hmm. trying to maximize with each event to make sure that everybody's enjoying it and that everything has some sort of educational, you know, aspect to it. Um, and I like to make sure that everything is very successful. And she's very, very good at it. She's <laughs> she's one of these employees that I know I can um, give her something to do. And it not only will it get done, it'll get done well. And she also keeps me on track and <laughs> reminds me of what I need to be doing or things that I might have forgotten and the rush of everything going on. So um, she is really, really fantastic. So Sarah, tell us what your future holds. What my future holds? <laughs> what your future holds. Uh, well, I hope to go to law school fall of 2022 um, because that's next year, right? That's next year. 2020 <laughs> didn't happen, so I have to make sure that I have my numbers in a row. Uh, yeah, I hope to go to law school um, and I'll most likely always work in the nonprofit world and mm -hmm. I'm definitely always going to have some sort of participation in the pro-life movement because um, that's one of the main factors that has really determined my education and work decisions so far. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if I sounded a little salty when I asked Sarah what her future held, it's because I'm very sad that she's going to law school. I mean, I'm glad she's following her dreams and everything, but... <laughs> ah, those things. Yeah, yeah, those things. Yeah, I'm married to an attorney, and I'm like, yeah, no, you don't want to go there, but she's going to be a great, great lawyer. She actually, um, she's taking the LSAT next week. It's next week, or is it this week? It's next um, week. It is next week. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, but she has been studying for the LSAT like nobody's business, you guys. <laughs> if you saw her dedication to not only her job here, but everything she does, um, I have no doubt that she'll be successful. And that's why I'm so sad that she's going to leave us. So anyway. But... Well, depending on what time this episode comes out, I might not know my score yet. So anybody yeah. out there better toss up some prayers for me. <laughs> Well, there's, there's no time with God. So yeah, pray exactly. no matter what. So anyway, well, thank you so much, Sarah. I'm thank sure you. everybody loved getting to know you. And thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. First, I want to take a second to let you know again about our WhenDoesLifeBegin.org website. This incredibly informative website has over 200 citations to scientific, legal, pro-life, and even pro-choice sources and authorities that all affirm a human's life does indeed begin at conception. This website is perfect for students, researchers, or anybody who wants to know the truth about when life begins. Again, that website is whendoeslifebegin.org. That's whendoeslifebegin.org. Go visit it today. So welcome back. Next on our hit parade, we have Savannah Dudzik, who is our communications assistant. Um, Savannah was our intern. Uh, she actually started working for Illinois Right to Life before I started and was our intern when I started. And um, I was just struck by her incredible energy, her dedication to the pro-life movement, and most of all, her willingness to learn and 
what a quick study she was. Um, we recently promoted her to an actual full-time employee of Illinois Right to Life, and she has been doing an amazing job and learning so much and working to really take our communications game to the next level. So welcome, Savannah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Amy. And thank you for having me on here as well. Oh, well, you're welcome. Savannah <laughs> actually is the one who, uh, as communications person, she's the one who um, schedules our speakers and does all the behind the scenes work for live chat. So this is new for her to be behind the microphone. But anyway, so tell us um, a little bit more about what you do at Illinois Right to Life, what your job is here. So I'm the communications assistant. So as Amy said, I work with the podcast a lot, but I do all the behind the scenes stuff. So I talk to people about coming on our podcast. I do the podcast editing um, and I do all that sort of scheduling and writing out the sheets for what we're going to say, all that kind of stuff. So that's a big part of what I do. And then also when our podcasts come out, I work to promote them on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media. And then... Um, I work with a lot of social media and advertising, and I send out emails when we need them sent out. I write blog posts, and yeah, I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, talking to people, getting people involved in the pro-life movement. So that's amazing. And um, uh, you also do a lot of pro-life work outside the office. What else do you do? So I'm also a volunteer pregnancy counselor for Let Them Live, which is an organization that, similar to Illinois Right to Life, helps women. But uh, Let Them Live helps women strictly in financial crises. So it's a large percentage of women that get abortions due to financial crises. And so we work directly with women, talking on the phone to women all through their nine months of pregnancy. So I do that outside of the office at nights and in the mornings and stuff like that. So, and you're also involved with McHenry County Right to Life, too. Yes. So that's, um, I'm from McHenry County. I'm from Woodstock. And McHenry mm -hmm. County Right to Life is our little uh, niche in Woodstock that does pro-life work in Woodstock and beyond. And I've been involved with them since high school. Mm -hmm. I received a scholarship from them and uh, have kind of just been involved. I do their social media. I go to their events. I help promote that stuff. Well, yeah, I um, was flipping through Instagram one night and I saw that McHenry County Right to Life reposted one of our posts. I was like, that's good people at McHenry County Right to Life. They're yep. awesome. And then I told Savannah and she was like, oh yeah, that was me. So, <laughs> well, anyway. they are awesome, but that wasn't yeah. me who reposted No, they are awesome. So, and then um, are you also involved with Chicago Pro-Life Future? Yes. So okay. I also do some of the secretary work for Chicago Pro-Life Future. So we're not as active in the summer. We haven't been doing as much in the summer we do a lot more in the winter but it's basically chicago pro-life future is just like this huge hugely united group in the chicagoland area that just tries to get young adults involved by doing events on like saturdays or mm -hmm. praying outside of abortion clinics that stuff to get adults who have busy lives involved in the pro-life movement i see so um savannah's very humble and you also do sidewalk counseling yes yes <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's interesting. Um, I, growing up, we would go to rallies and marches, and I believe we went to clinics once in a while, but I never actually sidewalk counseled. I would go with my dad, I think, to pray for 40 Days for Life. But a couple years ago, um, a few people were telling me that I should uh, be sidewalk counsel trained, so I got trained by Sidewalk Advocates for Life, I mm -hmm. believe. Yep. And now I go outside of clinics um, a lot more in the winter because the summer is just crazy with a ton of different things. But we go outside the clinics and we pray. But mostly we try to talk to the women and give them different options besides just going inside of the clinic. So, well, yeah, as you can obviously tell now, Savannah is very high energy and her dedication to the pro-life movement is just without equal. It's incredible. So, um, and... I wish you guys could see her. Savannah is just you know, absolutely beautiful, sweet, young. This sounds horrible. Sweet, young girl. What a, that sounded so stupid. Anyway, but no, she. this this just absolutely blows me away, and it shows her fortitude. Um, she was outside an abortion clinic here in Chicago, and these clinic escorts who were literally old enough to be her grandparents were just saying horrible things to her, and... Um, she stood her ground, didn't waver, didn't lose her temper. Um, 
she's just incredible. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about why you're so pro-life and why you're so dedicated to this issue? Um, well, I think it really started with um, growing up. So growing mm-hmm. up, my parents and my family and I, we were, we were very pro-life. My dad was very involved in our pro-life group at church. And so I would help him with the Mother's Day rose sales and we'd like give free roses to pregnant women and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I love doing that just because I think as a child, you just think of it as being like so pure and just like loving, you know, mm-hmm. like we're, that we're loving everyone. And then once I got to high school and college and started being a young adult and just started seeing that I think so many there's so many misconceptions that oh abortions don't happen here abortions don't happen in our circles women Mm -hmm. here don't get abortions I've just heard that so much and I just know from personal experience that it's not true that so many women in my demographic so many women uh who I talk to all the time you know they've considered abortion some of them have gotten abortion and I think it's important for um for everyone but especially for people in my age range because we're the ones targeted by Planned Parenthood and we're the ones who need to be stepping up and saying that first of all we're stronger than this and we don't need abortion to be successful to survive uh in our society and also that um abortion is just the most degrading thing to women and Mm -hmm. to their children no absolutely absolutely um so Savannah, we're so lucky to have you on our staff. I just, uh, Savannah really encourages me and uh, inspires me every day. She does so much. And um, yeah, even though you're young enough to be my daughter, I really look up to you. You've got, I mean, like so many people here, you've got such a bright future and so much that you're, I know you're going to do and you're going to do incredible things in, in the pro-life movement. So Thank you so much for coming behind the well, microphone today and talking to us. Thank you, thank you so much, us. Amy. No, this was nice. I like being behind a microphone. Oh, Not all the time, but I like doing hey, it. Hey, and you're and really you, good at it. And Amy is our executive director, and she inspires me and all of us on the staff. We've talked so many times about how we're like, wow, Amy is just such a gift to Illinois Right to Life, and we're just so glad that we have her leadership. Well, thank you. <laughs> you're too kind. Of course. Anyway, so... Before we continue, I wanted to let you know about a really exciting event coming up on Friday, November 12th. Our sister organization, Illinois Right to Life Action, will be holding its annual banquet on, again, Friday, November 12th at 6 p.m. at the Carlisle in Lombard. This is a really important event, A, because we didn't get to have our event last year due to our good friend COVID-19, and B, because we're going to be announcing a lot of really exciting plans to win our state back for life. Our keynote speaker is former Chief Justice of the Illinois Supreme Court, Robert Thomas, who also used to be the place kicker for the Chicago Bears. Very interesting. Um, We will be giving an award to Evita Duffy, daughter of Rachel Campos Duffy, who is the host of Fox and Friends Weekend. And we'll also be joined by Master of Ceremonies, Representative Avery Bourne. If you would like to come to our VIP reception, we'd love to have you there. Uh, Our pro-life gubernatorial candidates will all be there talking about why they are the best person to stand up for life in Illinois. So again, that is Friday, November 12th at 6 p.m. at the Carlisle and Lombard, the Illinois Right to Life Action Annual Banquet. If you want to buy tickets or get more information, just visit IllinoisRightToLifeAction.org slash action banquet. Again, that's Illinois Right to Life ORG slash action banquet. Now we are joined by Dr. Steve Jacobs. He is the program director of Illinois Right to Life and your usual host here for Life Chat. So anyway, kind of role reversed today. As I said at the beginning of the show, um, those of you who are regular listeners, Steve interviewed me a few weeks ago, um, introducing me to the organization and so forth. And um, now the roles are reversed. So um, yes, Steve, Dr. Lawyer Steve, as I call him, has both a JD and a PhD and is just an incredible asset to the Illinois Right to Life team. And um, he's so helpful to me because I can ask any number of legal, philosophical moral questions and he always has a good answer so um steve and i are both huge talkers and whenever we have a conversation it goes and goes and goes so hopefully (laughs) we will 
stay on track now because we both like to talk a lot. So yep. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. And tell us a little bit about your work here at Illinois Right to Life. Great. And thank you for having me, Amy. It's uh -huh. uh, nice to have this role reversal. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing that I, I try to do with my time is to further our efforts to educate uh, Illinoisans, people around the country, anybody who we can reach uh, through our various programs to educate them on, you know, I, I know it's a simple thing for the pro-life movement, but I think sometimes the simple things are the most important things, which is the humanity of the pre-born. And just to take a step back and realize as Illinois right to life, you know, it's right there in the name. It's that we are, at the end of the day, a human rights movement, mm -hmm. a movement that is trying to promote equality for the born and the preborn. Mm -hmm. So that's why I talk so much about the humanity is because the humanity is the very reason why the preborn deserve equal protection uh, under the law, why they deserve our equal attention, equal resources. And that's why so many of us in the movement give so much of our time, so much of our lives to this. It's because they are, the preborn are simply the most discriminated against group throughout human history. I mean, for me, it's, it's when, when you consider 30% of all preborn humans that are created each year are killed in an abortion, it's just you can't, there's nothing to compare it to. No, exactly, exactly. And um, you said that for us pro-lifers, it's just obvious that the unborn child, that the preborn child is human and that is that he or she is human from the moment of conception and deserving of equal protection. So in some of your research, you discovered how many people on on the left or who identify as pro-choice believe that. And the numbers were really startling to me. Could you share some of that research and what you discovered? Yeah. So uh, they, they do national polls. Uh, there have been a few that have directly addressed uh, those uh, people's beliefs on when life begins, you know, on different sides of the abortion debate. So uh, typically, um, it's Overall, in the country, it's less than 50%. One of the most recent polls showed only 38%. And amongst the pro-lifers, it was only like 60%. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Oh, that my human's gosh. life begins at conception. And, you know, some will say first heartbeat or these different uh, developmental landmarks. Uh, but uh, one, one really striking result, which I mention a lot, our listeners probably heard, that uh, only 9% of young mm -hmm. Democrats know that a human's life begins at fertilization. And they're three times as likely to believe that it begins at birth. Wow. So we're, we're talking about just a massive informational asymmetry. Mm -hmm. We're looking at what's also referred to as a, a, a gap in the public expert opinions. So they've studied this on various topics where there's a difference between what scientists believe and what the public believes. Mm -hmm. And in our most recent brief, we actually argued, and th this is backed by the research, that the gap between Americans' views on when life begins and biologists' views is larger than any other opinion gap. And they, they looked at, so 538 is a polling agency, they looked at like 12 different contentious issues, things from evolution to the safety of GMOs in our food. Mm -hmm. And this is the biggest gap. So they're, at, at the end of the day, and we, we know the reasons behind it, uh, one side that wants to protect abortion access, they have felt it necessary to dehumanize the preborn and reject the science. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and as we talked about when you were interviewing me, the abortion movement, I mean, it's just completely predicated on lies. Everything they do to justify their business is based on a lie because there is no justification for killing a human being. And that's all their business does. I mean, they take advantage of women when they're at their most vulnerable to kill their children and profit from it. And, mm. you know, and the Democrat Party, the left, they like to call themselves the party of science and that they're the ones who truly believe in science. And on the most fundamental issue of our humanity, they are completely out of step with what actual science is. Um, uh, okay, here we are going a little bit afield. This was this is really <laughs> interesting. So um, I want to talk about your um, amicus brief in just a second. But sure. Steve just put together... Um, a, two amicus briefs for, to the U.S. Supreme Court for, in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization Supreme Court case. But in putting those together, he was uh, he spoke to several 
tons of biologists from around the world. And um, this is what I couldn't believe, going back to the whole confusing the issue, distorting the truth. What did some of these biologists say about when life begins? And these are these are people with PhDs behind their name. What did they say? Right. So I was as clear as possible that mm -hmm. I was not asking a generic question when life begins, where it's not very, you know, precisely phrased. It was simply put, when does a human's life begin? So an mm -hmm. individual human, when did they begin their physical existence as an organism? Right. So if, if we could say with any assurity that you, Amy, are a human, there, there is some there is some metric we could use to describe you as a human. Right. We could look at your genetics. We could see that you have a human genome. We could see that you function as an organism, as mm -hmm. a living thing. Right. Right. So if we could classify you as a human, there must have been a point at which you were not classified as a human. Right. So I, I made this abundantly clear to them, even though maybe I'm making more confusing it now. But at any rate, <laughs> yeah. in talking to them, I made it so clear that I was simply asking, when does a human begin its existence as an organism, right? Mm -hmm. Yet somehow, a lot of them said 5.7 billion years ago. <laughs> I could not believe that. Yeah. So, so what was their what was their rationale for that? So, so they said that you know there is a germ line, right? That there is an immortal cell line that goes from the first organism to us today. So, I would say, are you suggesting that you existed five billion years ago? That your organism mm -hmm. existed with your genetic code? Oh well, no, I'm not saying that. Well, then what are we talking about here? I'm solely asking about when you started your mm -hmm. life as a human. So why are we talking about millions of years ago? So they are purposefully conflating what I call the ontogenetic question of when a human's life begins mm -hmm. with the phylogenetic question of when all life began. Mm -hmm. And this is not only these, these biologists in an email to me. There are actually multiple peer-reviewed journal articles where critics of the fertilization view use this as a counter-argument to say that insane. all life is continuous. One person told me, well, I see all life as the same, and I think it's arbitrary to distinguish one human from another or a human from a fly. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It's Yeah, no, it's well, insanity. I mean, I think you could ask a five-year-old you know, this question and they would be able to, uh, anyway, it leaves me, it leaves me speechless. So whatever. So, so, um, uh, let's talk about you yourself just for a little bit. So like I said, Steve has both a PhD as well as a law degree. So tell me what your inspiration was to get all this education and what your hope is, you know, just why you did this, uh, it's a fascinating story. So yeah, condense and share. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was pretty much the first from my family to go to college since my great-grandfather graduated Northwestern Medical School almost 100 years before I graduated from their law school. Mm -hmm. I, uh, working-class family, I you could say I guess I was a little smarter than the average bear when I was growing up, mm -hmm. but I was just a bit of a talker, and I was very interested. Mm -hmm. I've always been big into asking questions and mm -hmm. learning. So I started at community college, and uh, at a time, I actually thought I was an actor. <laughs> so as yeah. you can tell from my personality, I never, <laughs> I never did theater growing up, but for whatever reason, I, I really mm -hmm. loved movies and storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I ended up at Northeastern Illinois University, which is mm -hmm. a small uh, state school, and I took these philosophy classes and these ethics classes, and I found myself so fascinated by the personhood concept and how it was used so differently in the abortion debate compared to other discussions. Mm -hmm. So everywhere else, personhood is a concept meant to be inclusive of non-humans. So basically, let's just say human and person, those should be the same term. When we, right. when we say person, we just mean a human, right? Right. But the law and philosophy created this fictional concept of personhood to allow for including non-humans in what we mean when we say human. Mm -hmm. So this is why a corporation can be a person. Mm -hmm. It's just a fiction. So there are some countries have shown that orangutans are, are persons. They've tried to get rivers and forests to be recognized as persons. So person is just basically humans plus 
things that we want to respect or, mm -hmm. or give equal protection to. But in the abortion debate, this was the only area where they said you could be a human, but that doesn't mean you're a person. And I'm like, well, why are we using this concept that's meant to be inclusive? Why are we excluding all humans for the first 40 weeks of their lives? Right. So I think that was really what got me into this work is just it, it just something felt wrong mm -hmm. about why and human rights being another concept. Right. If universal human rights and if you look at these declarations, it says all humans, regardless of any distinction, it says all all members of the human family are to be respected as persons under the law. And then all of a sudden people are saying, well, they're not persons. It's like, well, what do you think all members of the human family are? Right. And right. if it says no distinction and it's supposed to be universal, how can we then say, oh, well, except for the distinction between what it means to be biologically a human and what we think it means to be human? That completely goes against the spirit of universal human rights. Mm -hmm. So I think it just it was like so offensive to my sense of logic in right. the beginning, which I'm, I'm big into that. I, I think that was really what kind of captured me. Awesome. So. Um, you know, law school is law school, but your uh, PhD thesis was on, tell me it, it specifically yeah. what the title was again. Uh, yeah, well, let's see if I can remember. Uh, so <laughs> it was uh, Balancing Abortion Rights and Fetal Rights, mm -hmm. a Mixed Methods Mediation of the U.S. Abortion Debate. So while I was in law school, I actually became a mediator. Oh, that, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I used to do uh, like landlord-tenant disputes. I used mm -hmm. to go in front of a judge and assure them that I could work with these clients mm -hmm. and we could hash out a deal so we wouldn't waste the judge's time. We'd just waste my time. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I loved it. I, mm -hmm. it, was, it was fascinating. I had studied psychology and a lot of the, the principles that I use in mediation, I use in psychology. So while I was doing this, I was like, why don't I use this approach for the abortion debate? Right. Why don't I see if there actually is a way for us to move the debate forward? Mm -hmm. And that's why all of my research has been driven by the people. Mm -hmm. So in mediation, you're not supposed to tell them what you think. It's more about you're just repeating back to them what they've said mm -hmm. to make sure you understand it. And then it helps the, the discussion move forward. Right. You say, you know, person A said this. What do you think of that person B? Person B, person A thought this, you know, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. So it's basically just playing the two sides off of each other to help them work on the result. So that's basically what I did with my research. Mm -hmm. I just asked them, you know, do you think when life, does life begin is an important question? Everybody said yes. Do you, who do you think is most qualified to answer it? They said biologists. Mm -hmm. So I surveyed biologists. Uh -huh. This wasn't me like coming up with a master scheme. I let them drive it. Mm -hmm. Because I was a mediator, and a right, mediator right. isn't supposed to inject themselves mm -hmm. into the situation. Right. So, and obviously, humanity of the unborn, when does life begin? I mean, it's a universal truth. And so, you know, when you talk, it, there's only one conclusion that you can come to. And Steve's research and also, you know, his that research uh, informed his uh, amicus briefs that he just wrote to the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs case. So can you tell us a little bit about those? Because that's been, he's been working really hard on those, <laughs> to put it lightly, to put it mildly. It was a labor of love. Uh, uh -huh. I could have done, done without the tension he headaches that lingered a bit, but that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's what happens when you really care about something and you mm -hmm. invest, right? Uh, so basically, the, the primary brief was uh, on behalf of Illinois Right to Life, and this was where we actually continued many of our arguments in our previous brief mm -hmm. in this case. So we were fortunate to actually be one of only eight entities who filed a brief when the court was deciding whether or not to take the case. Right, last summer, the right. summer of 2020. Yes, uh, Tom Ulp was like, we should do it. And I, you know, we were in the midst of the COVID summer. So I was like, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Tom Ulp is with the Thomas More Society, yes. who we work with quite a bit, just Van for our fantastic. listeners. Fantastic, such yeah. a blessing. Um, and hopefully he'll be on the podcast sometime soon. Soon, very soon, yeah. Uh, so we worked on that brief. And for, you know, 25 weeks, they delayed making the decision. But once they made the decision to hear the case, then we got to do another brief because mm -hmm. now the brief was how should they decide in the case? So I, I would say the biggest ad of this new brief. So so in the brief, just quickly, we we argue that because a human's life begins at fertilization and because today we have fetal homicide laws in a majority of states that actually recognize the killing, the non-abortive killing of a preborn human 
at fertilization as a homicide or a murder, because of those two things, the facts in 1973 when Roe was decided have changed. Mm -hmm. So in 1973, they said they could not find a consensus on when life begins and states were reluctant to protect pre-born humans outside of the abortion context. And they used those two arguments to say, therefore, we can't trust Texas in saying that life begins at fertilization. Now they can. Right. And because of this change in facts, I compare it to what happened in Brown v. Board. Mm-hmm. So Brown v. Board was the case about racial school, racial segregation in the schools. In 1896, they decided that it was constitutional because they believed you could be separate but equal. In 1954, when they reexamined the case, they said, based on all this research, you cannot be separate but equal. It, ma- it marks the minority with a badge of inferiority. Mm-hmm. So similarly, I, the brief basically says, just like you did with Brown, you should look at Roe and see whether or not these changes in facts mean that we should, you should change the decision. Mm-hmm. And we argue that it should because if we know that a human's life begins at fertilization and we know states protect them in non-abortive contexts, then equality demands that they be protected in abortive contexts as well. Exactly. So it was a really interesting argument. And um, actually, we're going to have Steve and I and then Steve and Tom Olt from Thomas More are going to talk about this a lot more because there's yeah. a lot to talk about. And um, yeah, with with the Dobbs Supreme Court case coming down the pike, um, it there, like I said, there's so much to talk about, uh, it, <laughs> and it really affects uh, what's going to be happening in Illinois in the future, and mm. the fact that our state is going to be ground zero, most likely, in the abortion debate once this decision comes down, if it goes the way we think it's going to. But we'll talk about that at a later date, because like I said, there's a lot to talk <laughs> about. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I could always talk to you for hours, <laughs> as as is evidenced by this conversation. So, um Till we chat again on live chat. <laughs> Thanks Great. so much. Thanks so much, Amy. I want to say thank you again to the team here at our headquarters in Chicago who joined us today. Um, I got to know them all a lot better myself, and I hope you did as well. I want to say a special thank you also to all of you who've worked very hard to pave the way for life here in Illinois and will be working with us as we win Illinois back for life. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please visit our website, illinoisrighttolife.org, and consider a gift. Everything we do here at Illinois Right to Life is through your generosity. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to see you on social media. This is really one of the most excellent ways you can get the latest news on the life issues here in Illinois and know what's going on here at Illinois Right to Life. Again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next time. 